Father, uh, we ask that you just open our eyes and our hearts this morning. And I, I want to just say, God, uh, Lord, we we want to ask you to do something that, uh, Lord, we can't manufacture on our own. We want to ask you to transform our lives. And Lord, for those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would just make yourself so evident that the evidence of the Spirit is undeniable. So Lord, we pray this morning that you would be glorified as we worship you along with our brothers and sisters all over the world, some who are in persecuted countries, some who are doing so underground at the risk of great persecution because they believe in the risen and resurrected Savior. God, we believe and we come before you and we pray. and We lift our hands to you. We lift our hearts to you. We lift our lives to you and ask you to speak to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have your Bibles. We're going to be in Mark chapter 16 here in just a moment. And... Uh, Mark, as we've said, as we've been studying through the gospel of Mark, is an apologetics gospel. Uh, it is written so that we may know the truth, so that we may know and, and not have any doubts about the reality of Christ, what he did and what he said. And as we look at this passage this morning, uh, I think it's important for us to remember we're in a time when in the newspapers, and in magazines, television shows, and talk shows, everybody's talking about uh, the validity of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the reality of Christ, and uh, did He in fact live, and did He in fact make these claims, and was He the Savior? And and you hear all these different debates, and you see all these different articles. It was uh, interesting that um, one of the uh, the great, uh, probably in the modern world and the secular culture. The greatest uh, religious mind, or maybe one of the most respected religious minds, is a guy called Bart Ehrman. Now, he's not a Christian, but he has spent his life studying religion, and in particular Christianity. He, he's an expert in New Testament, and um, he was on an atheist talk show, and he's talking, and uh, they were kind of bashing Christianity and uh, bashing some of the claims that Christ made. And the talk show host said, well, you know, the truth of it is, you know, we all know now, it's pretty much historically proven, that Jesus Christ never even existed. That's just all been made up. It's been fabricated. And Bart Ehrman, who's not a Christian, matter of fact, he would define himself as an agnostic, stops and said, he goes, well, that's not really true. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, uh, he said, look at all the books that are written out, all the new evidence that's come out. He goes, yeah, he goes, that's not accurate. He goes, I, I'm, of course, no Christian, and I'm no friend of Christianity, but... I've spent my life studying the evidence, and to say that Jesus didn't exist, that's just an ignorant statement. I mean, this is a agnostic who said, I'm not a Christian, and um, I write books about religion, uh, but he's at Chapel He's a professor at Chapel Hill, and a highly regarded secular scholar, and he said, that's just an ignorant statement. I know a lot of people have writ- written books saying that he, he never existed, but if you're going to go that route, you have to throw out all of ancient history, because we have more evidence that Christ existed and that he made radical claims than any other historical figure in history, in ancient history. He goes, so I totally disagree, and I would tell you I've spent my life doing this, and I can say without a doubt, he lived. And I'm thinking, this is a guy who's an agnostic who is 
who's saying I'm not a Christian using apologetic arguments for the existence of Christ. It was just very interesting. And, you know, and there are a couple other criteria as we look here that Mark really kind of shows us criteria for historical veracity. One of those is this. It's called the criteria of, uh, the, the criteria of, of, or criterion, actually, as I would pronounce, of embarrassment. And it goes like this. If it was not an accurate document, or if someone fabricated a document, typically when they do it, they'll make everything sound too good. You won't see any faults in the leader. You won't see any faults in the, the followers. It's all kind of too rosy and too clean. But as you look at the, the Gospel of Mark, as you look at the life of Christ, the principle of embarrassment is everywhere. First of all, the crucifixion itself was the most embarrassing way you could die and really the most embarrassing thing that could happen to you at that time in that culture. What it meant was for you to be nailed upon a cross naked with everyone to see. And it was just and people would mock you. People would see you. It was just a terrible thing for you. It was a shame to your family. And if you were a Jew, you believed you were cursed of God because the Bible says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So you were cursed, and you were just experienced the wrath of God. And so it was kind of a double whammy. So it was completely embarrassing for that to happen. Not just the crucifixion itself, but yet Christ chose to be crucified. Secondly, another uh, characteristic of embarrassment that we see that occurred uh, was that, that women were the primary testimony of uh, the resurrection and uh, of the time of the cross. We see that women were the first ones there, and they were the first ones to give uh, to, uh, to tell of what had occurred. And you go, why is that a big deal? Well, in Jewish law at that time, their testimony was not admissible in court. Now, it wasn't a right thing; it was just a reality in ancient times. That's the way it was done. And there, we here we have women being portrayed as those who were the most faithful at the time of Jesus' death. At the time of the cross, they showed up by themselves without any men when they're all hiding. So it's another uh, example of embarrassment. So that's another reality of why we know this text is authentic. Another one, another criterion is called uh, the principle uh, of multiple attestations. And what does that mean? That means that multiple people tell the same story, say that the event occurred. And of course, we have that easily in Matthew and Mark, who was Peter's account, Luke, and, who is a first-rate historian, and John. So we have these account, different and various accounts that speak to the veracity and to the historicity of Christ and the claims he made. As C.S. Lewis so eloquently said it, hey, he didn't say it this way, but I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to land this line. Don't be ignorant. All right? The truth of it is you got three choices. Number one, Jesus Christ is a crazy man. Number two, he was a liar. Number three, he was the Lord. He's who he said he was. It all comes down to it. Either he's lying or he's the Lord. What have you chosen? I want to encourage you not to miss this. This is huge. As a matter of fact, I've entitled the, my sermon, The Big Miss. Don't miss this. This is so essential, the resurrection of Christ, trusting and believing in Jesus Christ that he died and was buried and on the third day rose again, that he is the resurrected and living Lord today. I, I've had some big misses in my life. But I don't want to miss this. I mean, I've had some huge misses in my life. Let me tell you a couple. <clears throat> when I was a youth pastor over in Eulis in my earlier life, 
I remember we were getting ready to do our first, the first one I was in charge of, this big youth camp. They would have about 1,500 kids come to. And the, the guy who was doing the worship and music, uh, about two weeks before, called and said, hey, I've got a family emergency, a crisis situation in my family. I'm not going to be able to come. So I said, that's great. What do I do at this last second? So I called my friend who was speaking, and he said, hey, look, I heard this group a few weeks ago. There are some college girls. And they're great. Hey, man, why don't you have them come and sing for you? And they'll, they'll do a great job. So I said, okay. Well, I called them and I said, send me a tape. They, they, they didn't even have a tape. They go, well, we can make one. Uh, you know, we all share an apartment. We'll go in the bathroom and we'll just sing something and we'll send that to you. So they sent me this little handmade tape. You remember cassettes when they used to make those? And uh, they recorded it on, a, on about a $20 recorder and sent it to me. And I go, all right, well, you got good harmony. All right, we'll do this. I don't have anybody else at this point. It's a week before camp at this point. And so I have them come. They call themselves Say-So. They're 20 and 21-year-old girls. They come in, and they do a great job. I was real impressed. They had great hearts, great attitude. Paid them, paid them a little bit of money, not very much, and I paid them a little bit of money. And, um, and then I said, you know what, girls, you did such a great job. Would you just come back and do this again next year? They go, oh, sure, that would be great. Well, about five, six months later, I get a phone call, and they've got an agent now. And uh, she said, and he says, you know, we're going to need a little more money than that. I know they came really cheap last year, and you, you know, you, I know they agreed to it. They know what they're doing. He said, and now everybody's wanting to book them, and they're getting big time, and they're they're releasing an album. They're going to be on the radio and everything. And I'm going, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, I'm listening to all this. I'm thinking, whatever, dude. And I go, you know what? Nah, I don't want to do it. I'm going to pass. I'm just thinking, I can get somebody cheaper uh, for the, you know, just just as good. And so I passed on the group now known as Point of Grace. You know, four Dove nominees. I just passed on because I didn't find these girls anywhere. They're all over the place in colleges. About the time, youth minister guy I know uh, has a daughter. She's a she's a singer, high school kid, ninth grade. Great, he's got a great voice, man. Got to use her. Another friend of mine who's a youth minister. He's, he said, "Yeah, man, she's really good. You got to use her. She's she's great. She's I mean, her dad. She's she's going to be a big star. I mean, they're really grooming. She's going to be big time." She's going to be professional. And I go, whatever. And so I get the tape. I listen to it. And I was thinking, I got girls is good. And I said, I got girls in our youth ministry can sing this well. I, don't, I mean, yeah, she's got a good voice. She's got a great voice. But star. Everybody thinks her kid's going to be a star. Everybody thinks they're going to play pro football whatever. And I remember laughing to a couple of my interns thinking, you know, you think she's going to be big time. And so I said, no, no thanks. Appreciate it, but no thanks. That was Jessica Simpson. I'm telling you, I know talent when I see it. My last one. This is my favorite one. I'm coaching in southwest Louisiana, a little double-A high school, Pickering High School, coaching football. And uh, we had a pretty good program there. And uh, we were getting ready to play in the quarterfinals. And um, the uh, the team that, that our high school will play is called uh, Is- Isidore Newman High in New Orleans. And they had a quarterback. He was a sophomore. And everybody's talking about it. He's a tall kid. And, and his daddy had played football, and, you know, you're just hearing it all the time. And I remember telling the guys, I said, look, you know what? I think this guy's overrated, personally. I don't think he's that great. Yes, he's a good high school football player, and he's going to do, he'll do real well at the double-A high school level. He'll probably even maybe be, you know, honorable mention all-state. And he'll probably get to go to college, but I don't even know that he'll start at a Division One school. If he goes to a small school, he'll probably start. Maybe he'll make it a Division One school, but this guy's not going pro. He's not that great. He's not invincible. And we played him and actually beat them. And I said, you know, I, told, I told you, he's just not that great. That's Peyton Manning. Okay? Eleven, 11 Pro Bowls, four MVPs, more MVPs than any other NFL player in the history of football. At the time, signed the largest uh, football contract in all of football history before he signed this last one. You know, we think we know. 
But we miss big things right here on earth. I'm a great testimony of the big myths, okay? But I tell you what I'm not going to miss is Jesus Christ and His resurrected saving power. And you don't want to miss it either. Let's look at our text. Mark chapter 16. Of course, we know before this, Jesus Christ has died upon the cross. The Bible said the only way our sins can be forgiven is through the shedding of blood. So He has shed His blood on the cross. Then He's been placed in the grave. Pilate certified He was dead. The centurion certified for Pilate He was dead. We know that He was dead. He was placed in the grave for three days. And then here we are in verse 1 of chapter 16. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. You see again the testimony of women here, given their testimony that they are the ones who are coming and are, and are faithful. Uh, it's the principle of embarrassment that we talked about before. We just see the truth of the text. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, uh, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Who's going to do it? I mean, here we are. Where are the men? You look at that and you go, where are the, where are the flipping men at? Where are they cowering, hiding someplace? All right. They're not out in public because of what's occurred and they're afraid at this point. And they say, who's going to make the provision? And, you know, it's interesting. They came to prepare Jesus' body. Jesus had already prepared for them to come by having the stone moved. Pilate had sealed it with a Roman seal that can, and it's broken. It can only be broken by death. One that would have been a monster to move. And yet it has been moved. And here they are coming to see their Lord. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they lay his body. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Man, there is the crucible right there of our faith. Mark spent that whole chapter coming to this point to where we see Jesus has died, he's buried, but now he is Risen, And it's because He is risen. It's because of His power over sin and death itself. Because He is God that He rose and that we worship Him. That we believe He is the God of the universe. And this was His way of making it right between our sin and His holiness through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And there's power in that. So I want to talk to you about the importance of the resurrection. And I don't want you to miss this. Don't miss this. You know, I always feel sorry historically for Judas because you see, the Bible said, go tell Peter. I think one of the reasons it said go tell Peter was because Peter had just denied him. Go tell the other disciples who had, had who were hiding, Look, go tell them I'm here. Go tell them I'm here. Tell them they'll see me again. Matter of fact, we know over 500 people will see him. We know 15 people physically touched Christ. Go tell them I'm here, but Judas wasn't there. Because Judas had tried to make him into the type of Savior, Messiah he wanted to be, and Jesus wouldn't do it. So he tried to force Jesus' hand by selling him for 30 pieces of silver. And then when he realized what was going to happen, he couldn't take it. So he took his own life, which God never condones. But that's what he did. And he missed the resurrection. 
Peter's forgiven. Life totally transformed. All the apostles completely transformed. Eleven of the twelve will die a martyr's death because they're so transformed by the resurrection. But Judas missed it. You don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss Jesus and the resurrected, risen, saving Lord. So why is the resurrection so important? Let me give you a few reasons. Number one, the resurrection means that Jesus is who He claimed to be. The Bible tells us in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even though He dies. And whoever lives and believes in Me will never die. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Me. <clears throat> Do you believe the claims that Jesus made? He made the claim to be the living and resurrected Lord. He made the claim before He died that He would be uh, resurrected, that He would rise again. He made those claims. And then when He was resurrected, it proves He's who He said He was. And He proves His claims. Let me tell you about someone who just experienced and completely committed his life to Christ and was baptized. Matter of fact, uh, he's been serving here this morning and then was uh, here last night. His name is Ralph Simmons. He and Jill and uh, Ralph grew up uh, without a lot of church background. And, and uh, he said that we would go on Easter occasionally, but I really grew up with no faith. And uh, I grew up and I went to school and got edu- educated and got my education and, and then uh, began to work. And, and uh, he said, you know, I, I was doing pretty well, but just made some mistakes, maybe some things I shouldn't have done, and uh, but just kind of going about life. And then I met Jill, and she was a, she was a believer, and and I, I recognized there was something different about her. Something was going on, but you know I just couldn't logically get there because I'm I have a science background, and I'm kind of a scientist at heart, and I just couldn't make everything logically fit about that death, burial, and resurrection, about the claims of Christ, and so. I just kind of said, you know, I'm just going to kind of defer on those. And she would talk to me, and every once in a while I'd go to church with her. And he said, and we did that for a while, and then I kind of hit a rough spot and just felt like our relationship wasn't working. Decided it was time for a divorce, and so uh, we got a divorce and walked out. And and over the next nine months, I just started really wrestling with what is my meaning and my purpose. What am I doing with my life? And and uh, attended some church, and then we started to talk again. And, I realized that I was telling her, I, I never should have left in the first place. We never should have gotten a divorce. And so I began to attend church with her, and and um, she had moved over here you know, to Flower Mound. I was living on the other side of the county, and so we decided to get remarried. And so we got remarried, and we started coming here, and uh, I just came to a place where I was saying, I'm, I'm ready to totally commit my life to Christ and follow through in believer's baptism. So just a couple of months ago, uh, uh, Rob was baptized right here, and he's completely admitted, committed his life to Christ. And it's just, it's just a joy to talk to him and hear how he talks and how God took him from uh, simply just looking at logic to a faith as he realized the power of the resurrection. And that's the second thing that we know about the resurrection, the importance of the resurrection, and it's this: that Jesus has the power and the the authority that he claimed to have. He has the power and the authority. He has the power, just like he exercised that power over the Apostle Paul, who experienced a blinding light on the Damascus Road, so does he have that same power today. I want to tell you about another Paul. Uh, Paul, uh, um, what's Paul's last name? Tony Tim. Taylor, there you go. I was going to say Paul McDonald, because I was looking at Paul McDonald there. So, uh, Paul Taylor. And Paul Taylor, it also is on the screen if you want to read about it, by the way. Uh, some of you are probably intelligent enough to look at that. 
uh, Paul Taylor. This is him. And, uh, you know, uh, he was uh, a trainer and lived a pretty hard life. He said, you know, there are times when I just kind of ridicule Christianity and people who kind of live that lifestyle. He said, and you know, when people would talk to me every once in a while, and I remember this lady talked to me a couple of times. Her name was Melissa Nichols right over here at the gym. And she, um, one day she said, you know, now, Paul, I want you to sit down and listen to me. I want to talk to you. And he thought, you know, I'm paying, I guess, you know, she pays me so uh, to, to train her. So I, I guess I'm going to have to listen. So he, he listened her and she starts sharing the gospel. And he said, about halfway through, I just realized this is true. He said, something just really overwhelmed me. I didn't understand what it was at the time. It was the, the Spirit of God just overwhelmed me. And I started crying right there. And I accepted Jesus right there, and he completely has changed his life. Paul was baptized into this past year and has experienced a transformed life because of the power of the resurrection. Another reason the resurrection is so important, uh, because it shows us that Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. He tells us in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 10, Jesus says this in verse 34. He said, Jesus said, they will mock me and spit on me and flog me and kill me. But three days later, I will rise. I will rise. Jesus did just as he claimed, just as he promised, just as he promised he would. And you know what? Jesus still honors his promises today. Uh, I want to tell you about a guy named Aaron Harris who was in our last service. Aaron, great guy. He and his wife, Cassandra, have been coming to our church for three or four years and this past year, he found out he had cancer. And so uh, it was quite a blow, as you can imagine. And so he began to do the treatments, and he began to pray. And he been, began to do everything that he could. He began to diet and do everything that he could. But in the final analysis, he realized, you know, it's going to be God that's going to heal me. And he still believes that. And he still has the cancer, but he's still believing God will heal me. But he said, you know what? Even if he doesn't, I still believe. And you know what? God's promises have been true. He has sustained me by his righteous right hand. And I've never felt closer to him than this day. And I praise him for allowing me to go through this experience. Hey, that's the power of the resurrection. That's Jesus doing exactly as he promised to do. And he said, you know, as he promised me, I will take you through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. I can tell you those promises are true. He has sustained me. He has done as he has promised. And even if I were to die, you know what? It wouldn't change the fact that his promises are still true, that he is walking me through this time. And that is the power of the resurrection. Another a great example of the power of the resurrection and the reason that it is important is this, is that our sins are forgiven because of the resurrection. The Bible says this. It says, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. And our sins are forgiven because of Him. You know, Brian and Edie Sanders, Brian stood right here and preached on Valentine's Sunday. And he shared the story how about 12 years ago he had been unfaithful to his wife. And the tremendous turmoil they went through, not, not knowing if they were going to make it and how hard and rough that was, but that God just came in and intervened and they worked through it. And today uh, they are ministering to those uh, who, are, who are struggling in their marriages. They're ministering to those who are preparing to marry, those who have just got married. And they've led several of those couples to Christ, couples that are even here today. And God has used them because God has the power to save sins. Because of the power of the resurrection, the resurrected and living Lord, it's alive today. It's not just a historical event. Yes, we believe that. But believe, we believe that it spiritually resurrects us as well when we truly commit our life to Him. And that's exactly what He did in Brian and Edie's life. And then lastly, the resurrection is important because it means 
Excuse me, I've got two more points. I said lastly, I hate when preachers do that when there's more to come. Uh, last two. Uh, it means our future is secure. Our future is secure. That our salvation has been granted to us. And that we are secure to place in eternity. The Bible tells us in John 14, 3, this. Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Lauren Sanchez grew up uh, in a home that really had no faith whatsoever. Didn't really attend any church. But she always wondered and she said, I always thought there's something more. There's something out there. And she goes, I grew up and went to school and and then I met my husband, and he's a great guy. And, and he, he, he started, and she goes, we attend a service every once in a while, but didn't really understand anything that was going on, didn't really go a lot. And, uh, and then we moved here, and she goes, I, I was at LA Fitness, my husband and I were at LA Fitness, and I came out, and on my husband's car, there was a flyer, and uh, it said that uh, um, we want to invite you to a Sunday night service at RPC. Uh, now, I, I want you to know I had nothing to do with that. I guess case, I guess you had some kids putting, uh, putting those flyers out. And, uh, so they came and, uh, they started coming and she said, I started listening and I thought, I want to know more. And she goes, I heard about the starting point. And so I went to the starting point and I heard the information about the church and Brian Eddy, the guy I just told you about, sat out and, um, shared the gospel with me and just went through it and answered my questions. And I received Christ. And it was just like this overwhelming peace and confidence came over me that I knew it was true. I knew that I had been touched by God. You know, and I have lived with an emptiness and with a fear of death. I no longer have that fear of death. Matter of fact, you know, it's, it's interesting. Christopher Hitchin, the great British writer who proclaimed atheists, who did all the debates, he died this past December. And uh, they were interviewing him, and they said, uh, Dr. Hitchens, they said, you know, is there anything that you're seeing redeemed about your, your head cancer, and terminal cancer, that you see about this and you think will come out of your death? He goes, no, not really. He said, I'd like to say that, you know, people would become more enlightened and that there'd be great things that happen. But the truth of it is I'm just going to die a poor, pathetic death, and there's nothing of value that's going to really come out of my death. He said, I won't be here to see my daughter walk down the aisle. I won't see my grandchildren grow up. He goes, I wish there was something else. But the truth of it is, it's just a wretched disease that will kill my body and that will be the end of it. Hey, you know what? I am so thankful that that's not where we are. That we're, That's not where we have to be. Because that's the last point. The resurrection means that our tragedies and our trials can be redeemed by Christ. Our tragedies and trials can be redeemed by Christ. You want, you want me to give you a great example of that? I want to share a great example of that. Uh, this couple, Warren and Julie Reichel, three weeks ago, many of you heard them stand here and say, hey, this is what our story is right now today. Uh, when we were at four months pregnancy, we went to the doctor, and the doctor said, look, your child has tested positive for a genetics disease, and he won't live uh, maybe through the birth and certainly won't live long after. Maybe days, weeks, if you're real lucky, will be it. He'll have multiple problems, and if I were you, I would consider termination. She goes, I don't want to do it. She said, well, I really want to encourage you to, to think about it. And so she went on to talk to her husband. They said, we're not going to do this. We, we are believers in Christ. We live in the sanctity of life that Christ has given us this life, that God has blessed us here. And, yes, it's going to be tremendously hard to go through this pregnancy. Everybody's going to be asking us questions. When's your baby due? What are you going to name him? What are you thinking? Have you got the room ready? 
And we know unless there's some divine miracle that never happened for this disease that we know of, our baby is going to die. But we're going to do it because we believe this is what God is calling us to do. We believe this is right and we will stick to our faith. And so they did it. And this past Wednesday, the baby was delivered and it lived 20 minutes. They had 20 minutes with him and they named him Timothy. And Warren said, you know, we named him Timothy because it means one who honors God. And we wanted to honor God and we want his life to honor God. So that's that's why we did it. And Warren stood right here yesterday afternoon. And he said this, I want you to know three things. Number one, we would do this again. It's been the hardest thing of our lives. They're in their 20s. This is the hardest thing that's ever happened to us. And But we would do it again. And we're thankful for the 20 minutes we had. Number two, we really believe that we will see our son again in heaven. We're thankful for the 20 minutes we had, but we believe we're going to spend eternity with him in Christ. And number three, we believe that God is going to redeem this pain. He's going to redeem this experience. That people are going to come to know Christ through the testimony. And that's true. Have you ever thought about it? I mean, it's one thing when we say, yeah, Jesus is great. He can change our life. What about in our worst moment in life, in our most painful situation? Does your, is your face still saying, yeah, it hurts. I hate it. I don't want this. I would never choose it, but I still believe. It's like Job saying, Lord, though you slay me, yet will I still trust you. What a great testimony. You know where that comes from? It comes from the power of the risen and resurrected Lord. The power of the resurrection to redeem our pains and our trials for all who call Him Lord and choose to follow Him. Have you experienced that? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Hey, I want to ask you for just a moment to just close your eyes for a moment. And maybe you're here this morning and you have never come to that place where you fully committed your life to Christ, where you recognize, hey, I'm a sinner. Maybe you just think, I'm a pretty good guy. I'll be fine. But the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, any sin. And we're all sinners. And we fall in short of the glory of God. And it says that we must repent of those sins and transfer our trust to what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. He has provided salvation through His death, burial, and resurrection. But we must recognize we're sinners, that we need to confess that, and that we need to transfer our trust to what He's done on the cross and receive His grace and forgiveness. You believe that He is the God of the universe, that He went to the cross willingly. He died, was buried, but on the third day He rose again that you might know salvation and transformation and that you might have a place that's secured and eternal. Have you done that? If not, I want to invite you to just take a moment to just pray and just say, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize that uh, I cannot save myself. I'm not going to be good enough. But I realize that you can, and that's the reason that you died for me. Because that was God's way of making things right between uh, sinful humanity and Himself. And Jesus' blood covered me. And Jesus took my place. I believe that. And I transfer my trust and I completely commit my life to you. And God, I say, save me, God. I commit myself to you. I give myself to you. Maybe you've done that and you've never followed through with baptism. I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe you need to commit to grow as a believer. Maybe you need to commit to serve. Whatever God is leading you to do this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, would you respond? Don't miss it. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would draw men and women, boys and girls, to yourself. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.